Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. We are actually continuing the series. This is part three of a series we are calling We is Greater Than Me. Can somebody say, We is Greater Than Me? And the whole idea behind the series is that we are stronger whenever we are united together. That we is greater than me. And what I want us to do, I want us to take a look in Scripture. Anybody ready for the Word of God? I'm excited for it. And thanks to those for, that are joining us online as well. I want to take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. If you don't mind turning there, just turning your attention to the screens. And the awesome thing about the Bible is that this right here that we're fixing to read was actually a letter that was written to a church in this age of antiquity with the Apostle Paul who actually wrote this letter who is responsible for writing a lot of different letters and books in the New Testament. Um, And while he wrote this letter, um, he was actually in prison for preaching the gospel. And he's writing to this church in a city called Colossae. And the main point of this passage really uh, in Colossians, the number one, um, the purpose, it was to talk about the divinity, the supremacy, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. How many people know that Jesus Christ wasn't just an average, ordinary, person. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't just a man, but he was a God-man, 100% man, 100% God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. And honestly, that's the reason that we have salvation, that we have freedom, that we have eternal life, is because Jesus paid it all, because he was more than enough. He kept the law. He was perfect, and he died on the cross. But the second purpose of this passage in the book of Colossians is to talk about the importance of unity and how important it is for us to be together as a church. Come on, say this with me. Say we're better together. So this is what he begins to talk about, talking about unity and us being together. It says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. Now we kind of understand a little bit about it. It says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I cannot say I'm better than you. You cannot say that you're better than me. I cannot say that God loves you more than he loves me or God loves me more than he loves you. Jesus Christ died for the whole world. He loves every single one of us so much. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Say this with me. Say, forgiven people. I need to hear people at home say it too. Say, forgiven people. Forgive people. How many people are thankful that you've been forgiven? And then it ends with this. It says, and over all these things, he says, we're called to be people of compassion, of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But he says, above all these things, make sure that you put love as priority, as the virtue. Because he says that it's love that binds, which means to tie together and to fasten, to hold together. It's love that holds all of those things that we just mentioned together. Love is the glue. Love is the adhesive. Love is what fastens and fixes all of the things that we just said together. And it says in perfect unity. I know you've been standing for a little bit. So 
the third part of this, we is greater than me. We're about to take a seat. If you want to write this down, feel free to write this down. The subtitle and the focus of today's message is this. What keeps us together? What keeps us together? That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about what keeps us together. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for just this moment that we get to share with your word. I pray that it would just encourage people. This is all about you, Jesus. This is all for your glory. This is all for your namesake, God. You are worthy to be praised, God. We love you, Jesus. Open up our hearts, God. We open up our hearts to you. Let us receive it and let us walk in it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for the rest of this week, Jesus. Let us never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Um, as I thought about things that keep us together, I began to think about everyday items that we use to keep other things together, um, one of which is duct tape. Now, I don't know about you, and you, but you didn't think you are going to be talking about duct tape. Get ready for a little bit of history as well, by the way. Um, I don't know about you, but me and my family have used a lot of duct tape in our lifetime. <laughs> we've used it to fix things temporarily, but we've also used it, if I'm being honest, to fix things permanently. Um, it's helped us a lot to hold certain things together. I won't forget years ago, I was with my youth group, and we went to a camp, and um, one of the dorms thought it was a smart idea to put somebody against the wall with duct tape. And so somebody, a brave soul, volunteered and stepped up, which it may or may not have been our dorm. Um, somebody stepped up, and he went against the wall. They held him up. They put duct tape, and they stood away, and it ended up holding him. And I thought to myself, like, duct tape, like, this is some serious, like, pretty strong stuff. Like, you know what I mean? So I looked some things up online, looked some facts, and did a little bit of research online on duct tape. And um, I found out that even though, they say this, you can look this up. They say that even though we can tear it like this horizontally, tear it like that easy, they say that even though you can do that, if you fold it vertically like this, you double it up on itself, that this actually provides and has enough strength to pull a 2,000-pound car out of the ditch. Now, take in mind, I read this online. I saw a lot of different sources say this, and I do not recommend anybody to try this. If you find yourself in a ditch, find someone with a dually or a diesel or get a tow cable or get something called a tow truck. Don't try it, but that's what they say. Duct tape's pretty strong. In fact, NASA, um, they send their astronauts on every mission. They make sure that there's duct tape on the ship and in the shuttle. In fact, actually helped save the lives of some astronauts that were on an Apollo mission to the moon, and something had happened with the ship where things malfunctioned, and they actually had to, you know, make certain little things in order for them to breathe better, and one of the things that they used to hold the devices together that helped them breathe, air, breathe better uh, and, and provide air was actually duct tape. It's pretty interesting, and guess what? We have it in our homes. We have it in our drawers. We have it in our closets. We have it in our sheds. We have it laying around. We use it to hold certain things together, but it's interesting because duct tape wasn't a originally made for us to use at home like we use it today. In fact, duct tape was made in 1942 during World War II for the U.S. military, which actually is pretty crazy, was the same year that superglue was made for the purpose of World War II as well, but that's another story. So pretty much, <laughs> maybe I'll tell that in the next sermon, okay, superglue, right? Um, but pretty much, the, it was a 
answer to a problem. It was a solution to a problem that the U.S. military had. What happened pretty much was they had an issue with water, moisture, um, and just really condensation getting on the ammunition cases that they had. It would actually, you know, penetrate and go through and affect the bullets and, and the ammunition of the soldiers, which in turn would, you know, kind of stop their progress when it came to getting some things ready and prepared. Um, and actually, uh, it would cause rust and different things. And soldiers begin to notice this. In fact, a mom, shout out to all the moms out there that know how to get some things done. A mother whose two sons were in the Navy saw what happened, and she wrote a letter, y'all, to the president during that time, which was President Theodore Roosevelt. And she said, President, we see what's happening. We see what's taking place. We think, it, I think it would be a great solution. Uh, I think a great solution would be to make some type of material that's sticky and adhesive and has a cloth-like fabric that could repel water to wrap around these ammunition cases. So the U.S. actually contracted the Johnson & Johnson Company, and they were able to manufacture and make this duct tape. And guess what? It worked. It worked great. It repelled the water, so much so that the soldiers nicknamed it duct tape. And the reason they named it that is because ducks are known for being able to be water-resistant. They can be submerged underneath the water. They can come out, you know, and the water just slides off their back. Like, have you ever heard the saying, if someone ever criticizes you or makes fun of you or talks bad about you, just let the insult fall off like water on a duck's back? I don't know if you've heard that or not. That actually inspired the name for duct tape. And it works so well, and we're coming to a close with a duct tape. It works so well that they actually used it to hold together guns, um, Jeeps, airplanes, that's a little scary to me, different parts of it, um, and other pieces of equipment. And it worked so well that they began to sell it in the United States. And would you believe that today, on an annual basis, enough duct tape is sold in the world that the amount that's sold within one year could stretch to the moon 1.2 times. And to put it in another way, it could wrap around the equator of the earth 12.3 times. So as I thought about that, I began to think to myself, it sounds to me like humanity has a hard time keeping some things together. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about projects and tools and other pieces of equipment, but I've realized that we have a hard time keeping some relationships together. We have a hard time sometimes keeping our families together, keeping the church together, keeping some friendships together. And I just came to tell somebody that there is something that's stronger than duct tape. It's stronger than super glue. It's stronger than an adhesive that God has given us in order for us to keep our relationships. And that is love. It's love that will help keep us together. And the reason we need to be together is because more than ever, the world is seeing staggering statistics of division take place right now. If you turn on the news, I don't care if you listen to CNN, Fox, MSNBC, you can just tell and feel the division that's taking place right now. It feels like our nation is divided. Even certain parts of the church seem to be divided in different denominations. So what do we do? There's division taking place. In fact, if I looked it up a little bit, and found out the American Psychological Association did a study, and they found out that 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce in the United States. There was a study, there were studies, and the overall stats also showed us that right now in our country, there are 1 million to 3 million runaway homes, 
uh, runaway kids that are kids and teenagers right now in the United States, where a majority of them come from broken and divided homes. The Barna study group did a study, and they found out that around 50% of people say that they attend church. But if you compare that to the stats in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where people said that where about 70% of people said they attended church, that's actually kind of low. So we've seen a 20% decrease of people coming together and coming to church right now than what we saw in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And not only that, another study showed, I believe it's in 2018, where they did a survey and they found out that around two out of five people that attend church say that they visit church after church after church, and they don't go to one church consistently. Let me just tell you this. There is a difference between church shopping, trying to find a church home, and church hopping. Because sometimes there's people that change churches like they change clothes. And here's the issue with that. They go from one church to the next church to the next church to the next church, and they don't grow. They don't develop. They don't build meaningful, long-lasting relationships. And there seems to be division, and they go, and they're not able to build roots in order for them to grow and mature. But that's not God's will because just like God calls pastors to churches, God will call people to churches to help build the church and be the church and be a blessing to the church. See, I'm telling you right now, it's important. What I'm trying to say is this. I think you get the idea. We are seeing division. We are seeing divide. We are seeing separation taking place. And actually, that's exactly what the enemy wants. Because if the enemy can divide people, that means he can isolate people. And that's exactly, hear me clearly, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to your family. That's what he wants to do to this nation That's exactly what he wants to do to the church. He wants to divide because he wants to isolate you because he knows that if you're isolated and separated, you're more vulnerable to attack. It's a proven fact in nature, and if you look at the wild, predators like sharks and lions purposely target prey that is separated and divided and away from the herd, the group, and the pack. Because they know that they are more prone to being attacked. And they target that specific way. In fact, one of the tactics of lions is they will actually send some lions into a herd of buffalo. And they'll purposely, you know, rile them up and flush out certain buffalo to try to get them away from the group. So that way, other lions can come in for the attack. It's interesting because 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, describes Satan as, as a roaring lion who, who's prowling around, seeking who he can devour. So the enemy is constantly, Satan, the devil, he is constantly looking for ways to divide your family, to divide the church, to divide the nation, and to keep people and tear them apart. And as I thought about that, I actually saw a movie this past week and kind of, you know, spoke to me a little bit. It's, it's a fictional movie, and it's, it's called Gladiator. Not sure if you saw it or not. It's with Russell Crowe in there. Russell Crowe's a great actor. And, and he's playing this guy, and, and his name is Maximus. And Maximus is actually a gladiator. Um, and actually, before that, he was a, um, a military leader, I believe, a general. And in this movie... He gets captured, and he has to fight as a gladiator in the Coliseum. And he's kind of like the head honcho. He has respect because he can fight. 
He's been in the Colosseum for a bit. And as he's in this Colosseum, the emperor for Rome sends out chariots to come and attack the gladiators. So it's the gladiators versus the chariots and other soldiers. And what Russell Crowe, Maximus, decides to do, he yells out, come together, come together. And a large amount of the soldiers came together, the gladiators, they put up their shields, and they were able to fight and defeat the chariots. And he said, hold, hold together. But the problem was there was actually some people, the gladiators, that decided that they were much better by themselves, separated. And they tried to fight. And guess what? They were easily taken out. I guess what I'm, try- what I'm trying to say is, and you would have, if you've seen the movie, the crowds were surprised, the emperor was surprised. Like, how did they, how did they survive through it? It's because they decided to come together. And it's the same with the church. See, what I'm trying to say is, whenever we are by ourselves, we are weaker. But whenever we come together united, we are stronger. And more than ever, the church needs to stand together and rise up because I came to tell somebody that there is an adversary by the name of Satan, Lucifer, and he has his own little kingdom full of devils and imps and principalities and evil spirits. And the Bible says that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against evil spirits, with things of darkness. And guess what? Even though we see things going on physically of division, there is actually a spiritual demonic force behind those things. So the people of God have to pray. We have to stand united because whenever we're isolated, we are vulnerable. Even during COVID-19, for those that are watching online, do your best not to miss a service, to stay connected, to stay involved. Because even though we can't gather physically, I believe that we can connect spiritually. We can pray with one another. We can be on technology. We can watch the services. We can comment. We can text one another. We can FaceTime. We can call one another just to see how each other is is doing. Right now, the devil is trying to divide the church and divide you from this church. But let's make sure that we make it a priority to stand together as the people of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We have to stand together. We is greater than me. Check out what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. We're talking about the attack of the enemy, what Satan tries to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. As you can tell, I'm fired up. I feel this burden. It says this, I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And get this, that's what I want us to focus on. So he says, we have to reaffirm our love in him, we forgive people. And the reason being we love people, we forgive people, is because we do not want Satan to outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We are not unaware of our schemes. And and that's exactly what we need to understand is the devil, he has a scheme. He has a plan. He has a strategy. And he's been doing it for centuries and centuries and decades and decades, and he's still trying to do it right now. He's trying to bring division in your family. He's trying to bring division in your marriage. And the way that he does it He does it through offense, bitterness, hostility, pride. And this is a big one, unforgiveness. 
But the Apostle Paul said the way that we come combat and come against that in our defense, in our offense, is love and forgiveness. So what I'm trying to say is if there's one thing that's going to keep us together, it's the love of God, which in turn will cause us to love other people as well. Because love is strong. If you want to know what's going to keep your marriage together, it's love. If you want to know what's going to keep your family together, it's love. If what, what's going to keep our community together is love. Love is what's going to keep this nation together. It's what's going to keep this church together. Love is what sustains and keeps things together. You want to know what kept Jesus on the cross over 2,000 years ago whenever he hung up on the wooden cross on Golgotha? It wasn't the nine-inch nails that were pierced in his feet and pierced in his hands. It wasn't the Roman soldiers who were mocking him and spitting him and whipping him and flogging him. It wasn't the crowds of people that chose him over Barabbas to become crucified. It wasn't any of those things. What kept Jesus Christ on the cross, you need to understand that Jesus had had a choice. He was willing to go to the cross. He could have at any moment called there to be legions and thousands of angels to come and release him and set him free. He could have said one word and he could have just he could have just disappeared and gotten out of there, but he went through the pain. He went through the suffering. He went through the crucifixion. He went through the torment because it's love that kept him on the cross, not the nails. Come on, how many people are thankful? Can we give God a praise break just for one second? For the love of God. It's the love of God. Here's what you need to understand about God. Love isn't just something that God does. Love is who he is. God is so full of love. He embodies it. He emulates it. He can't help but to love you. When he sees you, he loves you so much. Before you ever gave Jesus Christ attention, before you ever gave God attention, he, he, you had his attention. Before you ever loved Jesus, guess what? He loved you. And if you want to know how you're going to love people that seem unlovable and that are tough, it's because you need to realize that you have access to the love of God and that God loves you. And if God loves you, you can love other people. We're not going to let the enemy divide us and separate us and tear us apart. We have to choose love. Love is what's going to keep us together. I have one point for you this morning, and it's this. Love is a choice. Jesus had a choice to go to the cross. He willingly went to the cross. Anybody I've ever talked to that's been married for a while... And you probably heard the same answer. Whenever I ask him, how is marriage? Or how do you, you know, stay married that long? Like, how, what's the secret? And, and like, how do you stay in love? They say, well, first of all, you need to understand that love is hard work. Love is tough. We, I think a lot of times we often associate love as a feeling and an emotion. And hear me clearly, we associate love as a feeling and emotion and butterflies. And we say things like, I'm falling in love. Or I've, I've fallen in love as if love is some type of ditch where we're just walking one day and we just fall into it. 
and we treat love as something that's uncontrollable and outside of our control. But I have, I, have, I have to tell you the truth. Love is a choice. Love isn't always comfortable. Love isn't always easy. Love isn't always just a feeling. But sometimes love is tough. Love is hard work. Love is a choice. Sometimes love is the last thing that you feel like doing. Sometimes love is praying and caring for a child of yours that is acting a fool and acting up and driving you crazy and acting rebellious, and yet you still take care of them and love them and provide for them because it's the goodness of God that will also lead to repentance. Sometimes love is forgiving an enemy of someone who betrayed you, neglected you, talked bad about you behind your back for, for a long time or whatever the situation may be, and you come back and say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, or I've let it go. I don't have any bitterness or anything in my, my heart towards you. Sometimes love is taking care of someone in the hospital. Sometimes love is changing somebody's diaper in a nursing home. Love is sometimes messy. And I'm not just talking about romantic love. I'm talking about the brotherly and sisterly love that we, me and you are meant to have for one another. Because we're not perfect. The church may feel messy sometimes. It's not always going to be perfect. There's no perfect church because there's no perfect people. We all have mistakes. We all have flaws. We all have failures. Have you ever felt, like, hard to love before for your spouse? Like, let's be honest. Have you ever been hard to love? Or have you ever been hard to love somebody else? Like, let's be honest. Have you ever thought to yourself this? I know I have. How could a good and perfect, and holy, and righteous, and just God love a dirty, messed up sinner like me. Let's be honest. How could he do it? Like, he knows my mistakes. He knows my failures. He knows my flaws. He knows my shortcomings. He's seen me in my lowest moments whenever nobody else was around. He knows my past sins. He knows my present sins. He knows my future sins. How could God love me? Something doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. How could he love me? Like I said, it's because love isn't something that he just does. It's who he is. And the reason that we can love people is because he first loved us. Check out what 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says. It says this. We love because God, because he, God, first loved us. Somebody say love is a choice. Even in the Garden of Eden, the reason that God planted and placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden is because God wanted to give Adam and Eve a choice. They had to make a decision. They had to be obedient to him, love him heart and soul. But they thought they knew better than God. They went against what he said. But God allowed it because God knows that if there is no choice, then there is no love. Because love is a choice. And God didn't want to have robots. He wanted to have a real, authentic, personal relationship with his creation. He wants to have a relationship with you. It's not about do's or don'ts or a to-do list. It's all about knowing Jesus Christ in a personal, intimate way. It's, it's a relationship over religion. You have a choice. We have a choice. And that can be good and bad sometimes. Because guess what? You have a choice to fall in love with God. You have a choice to follow after him and love him wholeheartedly. I love what Pastor Rick Warren said. He said this. God won't force you to love him because he knows that love can't be forced. 
God knows he won't force you to love, love him because he knows that love can't be forced. And let's say it like this. God won't force you to love people because he knows that love can't be forced. We have to love one another. We have to love people because it's a choice. So the question is, what is love? What does love look like? What does love do? How do I live a life of love? Well, I think the scripture that we read in Colossians chapter 3 answered that pretty good. And I want us to read it again. You can repeat some parts after me. It says this. Therefore, and this is Colossians 3, 12 through 14. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Say that with me, compassion. Kindness, say kindness. Humility, say humility. Gentleness. Patience. And then it says, bear with each other and forgive. Somebody say, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive, say forgive. As the Lord forgave, say forgave. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. Now, I don't know if you saw the pattern or not. But at the very top, we see a little bit of a picture of what is all entailed with love. What love is all about. First, we see that love is compassionate. So what that means for you and what that means for me is that we can't allow ourselves to become numb to the pain and suffering of other people. Compassion is whenever we feel the pain that other people feel. Oh, I pray that I never lack empathy or sympathy whenever I see broken and hurting people, even whenever they're doing wrong. We need to be people that have compassion. And then we see that kindness is also part of love. And what that means is we have to be nice. (laughs) We have to be kind. We can't jump to conclusions so fast and become too harsh. Then we see humility. In other words, we can't allow ourselves to become too puffed up or prideful and think that we're better than everybody else. I've heard someone say, humility is sometimes not you thinking less of yourself, but you thinking of yourself less. Where you put other people ahead of you. You put other people's needs in front of your needs, and you become humble. And then we see patience. Whenever we choose to wait and persevere. But here's what got me, church. It mentioned forgive three times. And if you see anything about love, a lot of times it talks about forgiveness. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because forgiveness is one of the greatest actions that love has. Forgiveness is one of the greatest acts of love. And because God knows that if he can get someone not to forgive and become and, and, and they're bitter and they have grudges, therefore there's, there's division. He knows if there is a unforgiveness in somebody's heart that that division can actually take place. That's what he knows. He knows that the strife and he knows the strife and division that, that unforgiveness can bring. Can you imagine how many issues in the world could be solved and fixed right now if people simply said something like this? I'm sorry. I forgive you. Can you imagine how many issues in the church, capital C church, could be solved if people said this, I'm sorry, I forgive you, I let it go. Like, can you forgive me? If we said something as simple as that, like, I, three words, I forgive you, so many problems, I, trust me, would disappear. Because love 
forgives. Notice this. The word give is in forgive. The big thing behind love is the act of giving something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I heard someone say the difference between lust and the difference between love is lust is all about getting, but love is all about giving. Whenever we choose to give something, and I'm just talking about money or anything like that, I'm talking about giving forgiveness to people. We have to choose to give forgiveness to people. Let me remind you with this. We all need forgiveness from God. There's not one person in here that out of their good works and merit or charity can say, I don't need forgiveness from God. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags unto God. It's like filthy rags unto God. We need the forgiveness of God. We need to come to a heart of repentance where we ask God to forgive us because God even knows our failures. He knows our flaws. He, like I said, he knows all these things, and yet he chooses to forgive us. And I got some good news for you. Not only does God forgive you of your sins, but he actually forgets all your sins. Because I think me and you are so used to having ammunition against people even our spouse sometimes, where they step on our toes and say something or do something, and we bring up something that happened 10 years ago, come on, or last night or last week, and we carry this ammunition, and we just, we just want to fight fire with fire. We just want to, you know, we want to fight sword by the sword, but those who live by the sword will die by the sword. It's going to bring, you reap what you sow, but God, in his never-ending, unfailing love, he chooses to forgive us of our wrongs and transgressions and iniquities and sin, not because he has amnesia, not because he's forgetful, but because he chooses to forgive you. That's the beauty of the gospel. So don't ever think that whenever you ask God for forgiveness, that he's going to keep that in mind for the future and say, no, I can't allow them for that calling. I, I have the, the gifts and calling in God are without repentance, y'all. Don't think, don't disqualify yourself. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And you are forgiven. You are set free. God's not up in heaven thinking, oh, they messed up this many times. They messed up this many times. I can't bless them. I can't do this. I can't. Do no, God chooses to not only forgive you of your sins, but he forgets all your sins. I'm thankful for that. Anybody thankful for the forgiveness of a God, a holy God? And I'm not saying that whenever we forgive people that we should forget everything as well. Let me just clarify that. Because there's a difference between building trust back and forgiveness. Sometimes people say, I'm not going to forgive them because they think that in order for them to forgive them, everything has to go back to how it once was. But somebody say this with me. Trust takes time. We allow opportunities for people to build back trust. But at the same time, we don't have bitterness, unforgiveness, strife in our hearts. Because get this. The Bible says, and I know you know this probably already, is the Bible says that we don't forgive people, God can't forgive us. If we don't forgive people, some people don't know that. I think some people are in for a surprise one day when they get to heaven and they stand before Almighty God, the, the one true judge, and they say, I'm so excited, I'm so ready to get into heaven, woo! And they come in, come through the pearling gates, and God says, let's just be real, I can't forgive you. 
I can't, why not God? Why can't you forgive me? Because you didn't forgive that person. And I don't want to get too theological when it comes to being judged on what you know or whatever like that. But some of us know that we're called to forgive people. And yet we're holding grudges and we're holding back. And we're not promised tomorrow, y'all. All I'm saying is you need to learn to choose to forgive. Love isn't easy. It's part of love. But it's a choice. It's a choice. We have to choose to forgive. Anybody receive something from tonight? I mean, this morning. Here's a powerful story I want to give you guys on forgiveness. Because I don't know your situation or whatever it may be, but I pray that we'd be people that wouldn't allow bitterness or unforgiveness in our hearts for such small, minute things that we throw ourselves a pity party and wait for the person to come up. Because most of the time, offenses are unintentional. Someone accidentally said something or you didn't get an invite to the party whenever they just, you know, they kind of forgot. Maybe you got lost in the mail. I don't know. Stuff happens. Offense is an event, but being offended is a choice. We have to be the bigger people and unite together because it's through forgiveness that we are united because it's love that will keep us together. Here's a story I want to read to you guys. And you can stand, actually sit because it's a longer story I have to read. <laughs> Haley, you can come up. And this is actually a true story, and there's a movie based on it called Unbroken. And here's a story. I'm going to read it out to you guys. It says, after a near-fatal plane crash in World War II, a former Olympian named Louis Zamperini spent a harrowing 47 days in a raft with two fellow crewmen where they faced harsh weather, sharks, and starvation. So there's this guy. He was an Olympian, Olympian runner. He joined the military during World War II. He's out at sea. There's a wreck. Something happens, and he spends 47 days at sea with two other people. And this is the commitment he made. Lewis had made a commitment to dedicate his life to serving God if he survived. Afterwards, he was caught by a Japanese Navy ship and sent to a prisoner of war camp. And at the camp, a prison guard named Mr. Watanabe oversaw Lewis and took a strong disliking for Lewis. Mr. Watanabe would punish, torment, and torture Lewis on a daily basis. At one point, he made Lewis hoist an impossibly heavy beam above his head and remain standing for an indefinite amount of time. And he told him, if you drop that beam, you're going to be shot on the spot. But something happened where he accessed strength his feeble body could never give him, and he remained standing till Mr. Watanabe got bored. I believe that God had given him supernatural strength. The abuse took place for two years until the war ended and his camp was liberated. So he was released from the camp. He came back to the United States. Lewis did, but he was full of bitterness. He planned to get back at the captors and the people that tortured him, especially Mr. Watanabe. Came back, he was full of bitterness and pain. And during this time, he, I think he forgot, it says, he says he kind of just ignored the commitment that he made to God. But get this, eventually he went to a church service. He went to a Billy Graham crusade. And after hearing of the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus Christ, Lewis gave his life to the Lord and saved him. Then what happened was, so he got saved, he had a revelation. That's what the gospel will do. Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. 
The way that we can, the reason we can love people is because God first loved us. The reason we forgive people is because God first forgave us. And he decided in 1950 to visit Japan. And get this, he met with many of the people who captured him and beat him and persecuted him. And they, rest, they, they recognized him and they accepted his forgiveness. Not only did they say sorry, but he said he was sorry because he allowed there to be bitterness and unforgiveness in his heart. And he tried to meet with Mr. Watanabe, but Mr. Watanabe refused. I'm sure he was full of shame, maybe full of regret, but that didn't stop Lewis. He wrote a letter to Mr. Watanabe, and he said this, As a result of my prisoner of war experience, under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. But I love this. But thanks to a confrontation with God. Has anybody ever had an experience with the Holy Spirit, with God, with Jesus? I committed my life to Christ. And get this, this is what he ends it with. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Love replaced, love is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. You know one of the last things that Jesus did before he died and gave up his life, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Talking of the Roman soldiers, talking of the crowds of people, he forgave them. So what makes us think that we can't forgive people who did us wrong? If Lewis can forgive people and Jesus could forgive the Roman soldiers in the crowd, guess what? If Jesus can forgive you, you can forgive people. If Jesus loves you, then you can love people. Come on, stand to your feet. That's a powerful story. Somebody say this with me. It's love that will keep us together. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, and this is Jesus talking. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And it's followed up with the big if. He says, if, say if, you love one another. Notice the word if because love is contingent on your willingness to love. You have to make a decision to love people, to forgive people, to let go of things. Can you imagine what your family would look like if you decided to lead with love. Can you imagine how our community would look like if we chose love? Our nation would look like if we decided to lead by action and example and love people. Can you imagine what our church would look like if we loved God with all of our hearts? If we decided to love each other unconditionally, can you imagine what would take place? Let's not complicate it. Let's keep it simple. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the two greatest commandments I give you, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Within those two commandments, everything else follows because it's love that keeps everything else together. It's the love of God. I wanna read this quote and we're done. It's my closing statement. True love isn't our love for God, but it's his love for us. Jesus loves me, therefore I can love other people. Anybody receive this word this Sunday morning? I hope it blessed you and encouraged you. If you have any unforgiveness on your heart, I'm just going to call it out right now. If you have any unforgiveness, bitterness, or grudge, whoever's watching online, you need to let that go ASAP. You need to let that go because unforgiveness is like a poison for your soul. And whenever you forgive someone, you're setting a captive free. And guess what? That captive is yourself. 
And whenever you forgive other people, God can forgive you and God can restore. God can complete. Just forgive. So I want to take this opportunity with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you have anything in your heart that may be unforgiveness towards someone, and some people may have to send text after this. Some people may have to make phone calls after this. Some people may just need to just get real with God right now. But let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I let go of all unforgiveness. I forgive other people. Thank you for forgiving me. I love you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to give somebody an opportunity right now. I believe it's something simple like that. I don't need to lay my hands on you or anything like that. We're following the guidelines. Simple thing. That's the first step. And it's a process. But God can heal. But God cannot heal what you don't reveal. You have to let it go. Show them. Tell them. I want to give somebody an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you never made that decision. You never made that commitment. Right now, this morning is the perfect opportunity. Just repeat after me. Maybe you prayed this prayer a million times. Pray, pray it again like it's your first time. Let's pray together. And all you have to do, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Nobody can get to heaven. No one can come to the Father except through him. Let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn away from all my wicked ways. I'm sorry for all my sins. I believe that you, Jesus, are Lord that you died and that you rose. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit riversidechurchtx.com.